Hi, church. Welcome again to another Sunday night teaching time. Thanks for consistently joining us as we uh, open up God's Word on these Sunday nights. We're in a series called Renewed in the Spirit of Your Mind, Knowing How the Life of God Gets Inside. This is part 12. The title tonight, Love God with Your Mind by Feeding It with the Boundless Mercy of God. And we're going to be looking at a text that we started to unpack last Sunday night. We'll be in for a few Sunday nights, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Get a Bible. Let's study these words together. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's easy to miss that this is really a motive text before it's an action text. I appeal to you, therefore, Brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. So he's going to ask them to present their bodies as a living sacrifice. He's going to ask them to have their minds renewed. He's going to ask them to discover the joy of doing God's will. Three things they're going to do. But that's not really what the text is about. What the text is about is, why do you do these things? I appeal to you by the mercies of God. In other words, there's the reason for all the things I'm asking you to do. Consider, study, know the mercies of God. It's one of those things that's so upfront in the text, and the words just roll off our tongues that it's easy to read the rest of the text and miss that point. It's a motive text. It's, it's about what fuels all the things Paul is going to ask them to do. It's, it's kind of like, um, and it's easy to take that for granted. It's, it's like the air that you breathe. I mean, it's, it's all around you. How many breaths do you take during a day? Well, you probably haven't even counted because you don't think about it. It's everywhere. But if all of a sudden there was no air, you're being held underwater or some terrible thing like that, oxygen is very precious and, and you'll start thinking about it right away. That's what the mercies of God are like. We Christians get into our Christian life through mercy and forgiveness and grace. We sing about those things. We talk about those things. Paul says that they're meant to be the fuel for how our minds get transformed and how we present our bodies in obedient service to the Lord. The engine driving your walk with Jesus. I appeal to you, therefore. See, the Christian life is easier to live when it's done by delight rather than just duty. That's why, by the way, if you look back to the fall, the fall of mankind, the devil captures the human race in Eve and Adam's original sin, not by forcing them to disobey God, but by making them want to disobey God. Desire is a far more powerful motive than sheer duty. Look at that in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You're not going to die? For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. He makes them desire to disobey God rather than forcing them to disobey God. Nobody sins. Nobody sins out of duty. We sin out of a perverted delight in some sense or other. So that's why we should pay particular attention to the way Paul finishes the first two verses in our theme text for this series. The the good news is when Paul gets to the end of Romans 12, 1 and 2, he talks about living in the will of God and he says it's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect, Romans 12, 2. That's the way I'm supposed to perceive it. The bad news is for many Christians, that's really not an accurate description of how they perceive God's will for their life. The Christian life is good in the sense that we're supposed to do it. We get that. We try to teach our kids that they should obey Jesus. That will make them good Christians. But when our kids see our lives, they may not always see that seeking Christ first, while good, is, is, it's not always so good that every other good thing on earth seems dull in comparison. They don't always see delight. If you don't believe me, just ask yourself, why in the world we have to expend so much effort and energy encouraging Christians, pleading Christians, urging Christians, come to church, read your Bible, pray, grow in Christ, keep growing in the Lord. Why do people have to be nudged into something that Paul says is not just good, but it's perfect? makes no sense. That's the issue I want to address in tonight's teaching. If, if, if I am going to live the Christian life properly, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, first of all, I have to perceive the Christian life properly. In other words, I can't just get saved and bolt out of the starting gate. I mean, that initial energy might carry me a little ways, but not very far down the track. That's why we took a whole week last Sunday night studying that word, therefore, at the beginning of our text. The renewed mind comes from somewhere, not from nowhere. There are foundations, and the foundations for the renewing of my mind and the presenting of my body in obedience, the foundation is treasuring the mercies of God in Christ freshly every day. So today, we're going to get a little more specific as to the shape and the substance of the foundation, the fuel of my Christian walk. Paul is going to tell us something from our text that will help keep my walk with Jesus delightful, not just dutiful. But Paul's going to say it doesn't work automatically. That's the important point. But it's a keynote. 
that will renew the believer's mind. It will keep making things new. Be transformed, the renewing of your mind. It, it keeps the Christian walk new, understanding, grasping, relishing the mercies of God freshly every day, renews my mind, renews my walk with Jesus. It helps keep it fresh. So I want to know how that foundation, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, I want to know how to keep that applied to my life. So point number one, the most important thing you can do to cooperate with the Spirit in the renewing of your mind is to turn your mind, here it is, consciously to pondering the mercies of God. There it is in Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. Then, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, as I said last Sunday night, that word, therefore, links Paul's appeal to the content of Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. He's looking backwards to all the things he's studied about the mercies of God, and he's saying, there, uh, that's how you renew your mind around the mercies of God. Now, there's a lot in those 11 chapters. They're just full of doctrinal meat about God's grace in Jesus Christ. And, and the therefore reminds me that none of that is just theological, doctrinal, dead weight. None of it is superfluous. I need to understand it all if my mind's going to be renewed. The renewed mind comes from somewhere, not from nowhere. But then Paul focuses in even more tightly on what he has in mind. He would say, the things I'm calling you to now live out can't be done just because I'm telling you to do them. They need fuel. That's what he's saying. Renewing your mind, presenting your body, walking joyfully in the will of God. There's fuel for that. You're not going to be able to do it just because I said so. And the fuel is the mercy of God. I, I don't mean, I don't mean just experiencing God's mercy. It's very important, but I don't mean just that. And I don't mean just believing in the mercy of God. That's important too, but that's not what I'm talking about. I mean knowing absolutely everything there is to know about God's mercy in Christ Jesus, the source of that mercy the nature of that mercy, the power of that mercy. I'm talking about your mind. I'm talking about how you soak your mind every day in the weighty truth about God's mercy. The truth of the unbounding mercy of God in Christ Jesus is to your mind what uranium is to a nuclear reactor. It, it's at the core of everything else about you. Read about God's mercy in Christ. Memorize verses about it. Talk about it. Because when you ponder it prayerfully, study it deeply, you will come to cherish it more deeply, and that will renew your mind in a way nothing else does. That's what Paul says. I beseech you, by the mercies of God, do these things. 
So, so soaking your mind in the mercy of God will, will draw out the rest of your being, your will, in thankful delight rather than trying to live your life just with mechanical duty. Filling your mind with the meaty, mighty truths of grace turns, turns duty into worship, which is your spiritual worship. That's exactly why Paul directs his reader's attention backwards to Romans 1 through 11 before he directs them forward to Romans 12 through 16. It's those first 11 chapters of Romans that are the tale of God's mercies. Even the chapters that don't initially, at first glance, appear to be about mercy at all are all about mercy. Here's an example, Romans 1 and 2. If you've ever read Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2, they seem to hold out nothing but a a dark, sad tale about my sin, my rebellion against God. Everything appears so hopeless. And those chapters are meant to be like that because it's only the truth about my actual situation, my utter bankruptcy, lostness, hopelessness. That's what sets the stage for properly understanding the richness of God's mercy in Christ. It's for people like me, people who can't possibly earn any status, any favor, any merit before God, people who are called enemies of God. It's for people like me that God has shown his mercy in Jesus Christ. See, Paul says, think about that, Don. Think about it every day. Look at how Paul does this. Romans 5, 6 through 10. Okay, so now we're not up to Romans 12 yet. Romans 5, 6 through 10 is a part of what Paul means me to look back on with that therefore. Therefore, Dom, by the mercies of God. So before Romans 12, there's Romans 5. And in Romans 5, Paul's going to talk more about how God's mercy works. Romans 12, he's going to say, Don, you keep renewing your mind looking back at texts like this. Because that's fuel. Here's how it works. Romans 5, 6 through 10. Paul says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, there's the statement. But Paul says, no, 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 no. You got to think more about this. Verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. You see what he's doing now? We're not righteous, but he's going to compare it. One would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one might even dare to die. Paul says, now think, that wasn't us. Romans 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, we weren't good, we weren't righteous. Christ died for us. You see what he's doing? He's he's playing out the mercy of God. He's mulling it over. He's, He's expanding on it. He's drawing conclusions. He's drilling down into how rich and wonderful God's mercy in Christ is. That's part of the therefore in Romans 12, 1. Then look what he says. Verse 9 of Romans 5. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. Okay. 
What does it mean to think about God's mercy? Well, here's something else. Much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. The mercy didn't stop there. It's going to extend all the way to when Jesus comes again. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, he's thinking about mercy here, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Do you see the wonderful, hope-filled news in those words? Please, never let anyone tell you that we weren't so bad apart from Christ. People who would try and build up your sense of self-esteem, do you no favor? You're being cheated. Here's why we must let the Bible speak its own message. The worse we are without Christ, the better. Because I was so lost and so sinful and so unworthy of Christ's grace, then, when he came and died for me on the cross, I know that I never need to worry about the future now that I'm his child. Paul says there, think about the mercy. That's Paul's point. It's the doctrine of my utter sinfulness and unworthiness. All that's in that Romans 1 through 11. The part that Paul says, look back on this. The doctrine of my utter sinfulness, my unworthiness before God, that's my ground for assurance of his ongoing presence in my life now. That's what Romans 5.10 is all about. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. If his mercy was so richly extended when I was his enemy... Think about the power of his mercy now that I'm his child. But that's all wrapped up. I beseech you by the mercies of God. That's the fuel for everything about your Christian life. Remember now where we are in this teaching. This is just one of many examples I've tried to show you. Romans 1 and 2 and Romans chapter 5. Examples of how The mercies of God are displayed in those chapters. This is how Paul means I am to think through the meaning, the depth, the implication, the theology of the mercies of God. That's what Paul sends our our study back to if we want renewed minds and transformed lives. He says, there, that's how it comes. But how does it work? Why does Paul call us to look intently at this extended study of God's mercy? And and he makes his appeal on the basis of it. I appeal to you, Romans 12, 1. Brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, now present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. How does that work? Perhaps Jesus, more than anyone else, expanded on this very thing. Jesus expands on the idea, the theology that Paul is dealing with in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Only Jesus does it simply in a story. I want to read it. Look it up and pretend you haven't read this story a million times. Look at Luke. We're still now considering how understanding the mercy of God, how that becomes fuel for everything in your Christian life. And my point now is that Jesus says the same thing, just in smoother ways. Luke 7, 
37 to 47, 10 verses. Listen to this story. Jesus is speaking. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, there you go, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping. Quite a scene. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So it's quite a display. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, so this is in the Pharisee's house. He invites Jesus, and this woman shows up. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man, Jesus, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. Obviously, it's an outward visible sin. He's questioning, he knows what this woman's about. 40. And Jesus answering, interesting, the man said within himself, and Jesus answers him outwardly. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. Now Jesus tells a story. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. That that one's going to be the most grateful. And he, Jesus, said to him, you've judged rightly. 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Feet would get dusty then, sandals, dusty roads. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now think about this for a minute. Jesus uses a decidedly non-religious person in his story to teach something important to this highly trained religious Pharisee. Surprisingly, the Pharisee in Luke's account isn't as moved to serve Jesus as this sinful woman. And Jesus cuts to the core of the reason. And, and, it, and it relates to why Paul says, if you're going to have fuel for serving the Lord, you need to be thinking about God's mercies all the time. Okay, Jesus says exactly the same thing. The Pharisee, who is uh, prompted by every religious system and rule and regulation and duty you can imagine, was never drawn to love Jesus by religious duty. That's important. He was never drawn to worship Jesus out of religious duty. 
this sinful woman who knew none of the rules and regulations of the Pharisee was openly, dramatically drawn to worship Jesus. The woman, only identified as a sinner, did more for Jesus than this bishop. Why? Why? This gets to the heart of Paul's teaching in Romans 12, 1 and 2. What was working in this woman's life that wasn't working in the Pharisee's life? Well, Jesus tells us. She understood she had been forgiven a whole bunch. There's a woman. She doesn't get everything. You know what she gets? Oh, what mercy. She's thinking about divine mercy. I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by what? By the mercies of God. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. There's no other way to do this joyfully except that first motivation step, the mercies of God. This woman understood. Now, we know she wasn't actually forgiven more sins than the Pharisee. That's not Jesus' point. But she thought more about the mercy she had received. She was drawn in. She was warmed. She was delighted to adore Jesus because because her mind was just soaked in the unbelievable mercy and grace of Jesus. And just like Paul says in our text, the mercies of God will fuel everything about you more than mere duty. Back to us. I know we all believe in the mercies of God. We can quote John 3.16. I know we all believe that we were sinners and we've been forgiven, and that's good. I know we all understand and agree with the biblical premise that we're sinners saved by grace. Just about all of us believe that. And I'm not talking about those things. The the mind-renewing power of the mercies of God has to go deeper than that. I'm asking you, I'm asking me, How many times a day, while you're at work, driving your car, cleaning your house, how many times do you pause, get purposely still, quiet, and just consider how rich God's mercy has been to you? How regularly do you recall the mercies of God? Paul says, Paul says, Don... That's where the power comes from for everything I'm calling you to do in your Christian walk. It's a huge truth. Okay, we're almost done, even though I'm saying it's just point number two. The mercies of God are the antidote to the things that most frequently wear Christians out and pull Christians down spiritually. If if reveling in the mercies of God renews us, then neglecting to think about mercy will wear us out before our time. There are two calls of God on every person who claims the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection. We are called to renew our minds daily in God's mercies, and we are called to glorify and extend God's mercies. Those two things. I get that in Romans 15, 8, and 9. Got a Bible? Romans 15, 8, and 9. 
For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. Christ was, Christ was a Jew in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles, that's us, might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So those two calls, renew my mind around the mercies of God and make his mercies look wonderful to reach the lost. Everything hinges on this. So when we were saved, when you were saved, did you comprehend the nature of what you were called to? You were called to renew your life daily in God's mercy, and you were called to help others marvel at the same mercy. So we're not called just to enlist people in some social justice campaign, save the rainforest. There's something even bigger than that. We are called to reveal God's mercy in Jesus Christ to others in both our words and our actions. And this is how Christianity spreads. This is how it grows. Jesus came to make God's mercy look great. That's why he came. Jesus saved you, filled your life with God's mercies so that you can make them manifest to a watching world. So how does that work? Because it doesn't always seem to happen. I've, uh, I've been around the church long enough to realize that many Christians profess the mercies of God more than they extend the mercies of God. And, and, and that kind of deformed spirituality, it will burn people out. I've seen it over and over, so have you. People get miffed because someone is ministering on the platform and they don't think that person has treated them fairly. Another person gets upset because he sees someone raising their hands in worship and they think that they're a hypocrite. Someone quits working with children because someone spoke harshly to their kids and they left the church. Another person leaves the church because one of their friends didn't get along with one of the department leaders. Someone leaves the church because someone asked them to wear a mask over and over and over again. And all of those true stories have one thing in common. Somewhere along the way, amid all the activities of the church and work and family, some churchgoer quit thinking of himself as a miracle of pure mercy. And as sure as I'm standing here or sitting here, when that happens, someone stopped seeing other people as redeemed sinners too. And when we just, while we believe in it, when we kind of put God's mercy on the shelf, we lose the fuel to do two things. We can no longer renew our own minds spiritually, no matter how brilliant, and we stop transforming the world. And all we will pass on to our kids will be a dull list of religious rules. So much is at stake here. Remember, make the mercy of God, the unbelievably undeserved rich mercy of God, make that the operating system of everything else in your life. Thinking about it, 
manifesting the mercies of God. It will keep you renewed in the spirit of your mind. I urge you by the mercies of God. Whenever you're not recalling, pondering deeply, studying the mercy of God and all the theological implications of it, And whenever you are manifesting something other than rich mercy to others, then you're just, you're out of God's will. I'll be out of God's will. And here's the thing. You can't be fruitful there. I beseech you, urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies, transform your mind, reach your world, all fueled, by the mercies of God in Christ. God help us to do it. Don't forget, Wednesday night, right here at the church, 7 o'clock, our in-person meeting. What comes to your mind when you think about God? The justice of God is what we're going to be studying this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Children's ministries at the same time. It's great now, Sunday morning. You can sit where you want, no ropes, no distancing, no registering, no signing in, nothing like that. Just wear a mask for a little bit longer, but church back to normal, it's a great, great thing. Love one another, church. God bless you.